because I don't know when I would find another hour in my schedule to devote to being involved in evangelism. And so sometimes we just end up feeling a little bit guilty about what we're not accomplishing. In Colossians 4, as Paul writes, he's going to talk about three things, and you've got the outline in front of you, so you understand where we're going. But the idea is there are things that we're already involved in every day. And by putting some emphasis in certain areas, the idea is that all of us as members of the body can help God's church be more effective in evangelism. And so I'm going to begin in Colossians, the fourth chapter, and notice beginning uh, in verse 2. We'll do verses 2 through 4, and then we'll say 5 and 6. But first thing we're going to talk about tonight is this idea of prayer. And so let's begin there. If I can get that to move. There it goes. He writes in verse 2, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Now, that verse, any of you all who have preached or done anything of that nature, you realize very quickly that what you have there is a three-point lesson on prayer waiting to be preached. And it's a, it's a really good verse uh, for self-examination because that verse should cause us to be all asking ourselves three correct questions. Okay, Philip, when you are thinking about your prayer life. Philip, are you as devoted to your prayer life as you ought to be? And Philip, are you uh, as alert in your prayer life as you ought to be? And then finally, do you always, Philip, remember to pray with thanksgiving no matter what's going on? See, those are three great questions. And when I ask myself those, I very quickly always realize that, hey, my prayer life is an area where I need to be working on that. I've got the opportunity to grow. I've got the opportunity to improve. And maybe you find that out as you examine your life as well. So this general admonition on prayer, it ought to be a challenge for all of us. But then I want you to notice what he begins to do as he begins to talk about how our prayer lives really should have an evangelistic focus to them. He says this in verse 3. Praying at the same time for us as well. That God will open up to us a door for the words. That we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. For which I've also been in prison. That I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. If we can count on truth being inspired through the words of Paul right here. One of the things that we ought to very quickly be reminded of is this idea that God opens doors. Now, in recent years, we used to try to keep up, and, and we still kind of do, and I haven't had a recent update on it, but recently, as far as we knew, there were still eight countries on the face of our planet that, to the best of our knowledge, don't have at least one congregation of God's people meeting. In other words, there are still eight countries where we need to be praying about doors opening, God opens doors. And as we think about our prayer life, and as we think about evangelism, and as we think about the growth of the church, I want us to think in terms of a couple of things. I want us to think about the mission field, but I want us to think about it in two ways. I want us to first think about the, the mission field is a very traditional thought for us. Maybe the, the foreign mission field or the mission field where we know there's a guy out there doing some work and we're involved with him in some way. Here's my question. Here at Savannah, how well do you know the mission efforts that this congregation is involved in? 
and sometimes that's on the, the mission effort itself. You probably don't know as much about Heritage Christian as you need to. Lord willing, one Sunday night we may spend a few minutes at the beginning and I'll bring you up to date on that and I'll let you know what's going on there before. Because we haven't been here to talk about that the way that we should. So sometimes it's on the mission effort, but sometimes maybe it's on us. In other words, maybe on Sunday, when I write my check, I realize that I'm doing evangelism because the elders, the shepherds, they're going to invest some of that money, some of those funds, into the mission field. And so I know through my giving that I'm doing evangelism. But the fear may be that sometimes maybe I write the check and then I, I assume that my job is done. But Paul's trying to say here in Colossians chapter 4, hey, there's great power in the idea that God's people need to be praying about what's going on with lost souls. The better we know the mission efforts that we're involved in, or with, however you want to say that, English teachers will get me, so I'm not careful. But the better we're aware we are of those efforts, the more specific and the more effective we can be in praying. If it's a children's home, do I get to know who any of those house parents are in that children's home? Or do I get to know who any of those children are? You know, maybe that child that is uh, at that age where he or she needs to be obeying the gospel or uh, some needs that maybe those house parents have or whatever it may be. You get the idea. The more that I know, the more effective and more specific I can be in prayer. And one of the blessings of today that technology has drastically reduced the size of our planet. That, that prayer this morning, the prayer for the persecuted church, and Jeff puts that together and, and very quickly all of us know the need and all of us know how, how we can be praying. And you remember how it was years ago. The church office gets an envelope. It's one of those airmail envelopes and when it left its country of origin, it, it was wide and it was pretty and it was clean. And then a by the time it gets here, now it's dirty, it's tattered, and it's torn. And so we get that envelope, and we open that up, and we find out what was going on in that work with that missionary maybe a month ago. And so then if we need to respond, it's that, it's that same slow process. But today, if that missionary has electricity, he's on the internet, and so as soon as he has a need, as soon as he gets sinned, as soon as he gets post, we immediately know what's going on in his ministry. We immediately know what his needs are. And we can begin praying about whatever that is. Or we can begin supplying whatever that need may be. Technology has drastically reduced the size of our planet. And that's a blessing to us in evangelism. And so we need to be aware of the efforts that we're involved in. And we need to be praying. So that's the, the more traditional mission field that we think of. But then there is also the, uh, the, the other mission field, the idea that, that we're here in the church building, we come here and we worship God, and then when the service ends, after we visit for a while, we walk out of those doors, and when we walk out of the doors of the church building, we walk into a local mission field. In other words, we walk into a situation where we will interact with some people who need Jesus. And the question is, are we praying about the local mission field just like we might pray for that guy who's doing work in a foreign country? If I know Dustin is maybe working with someone or studying with someone or there's something, there's, there's a door that needs to open there, am I praying 
for Justin because we haven't talked yet about what the other thing Paul does in these verses. But as he talks about the need to pray in verse 4, he says, you know, pray that God will open the door. And then as I walk through that door, just go ahead and pray that God will give me the wisdom to most clearly communicate His truth. In other words, and what a humility. Paul, inspired by God, he's still asking God's people to pray that he'll have the wisdom he needs to be as effective as he can be in sharing the gospel. So if I know Dustin's involved in something like that, and I'm praying about that door, and I'm praying for his wisdom, because my, my contention is, if God will bless the prayer that we're sending to the other side of the planet, I believe that God will bless the prayer that we send for the brother or the sister across the aisle who's trying to do God's work right here in the local we need to be praying for each other in that way. And as we get ready to move on from this point, one other thing that can maybe motivate us a little bit, aren't you thankful that there was somebody who was praying for your salvation? Even if you grew up in the church, if your parents, as soon as you were old enough to get out of the house and safely get out in front of people, if you've been in the church building from the old enough to remember, even if the people who were praying for you most were your own family members, aren't you thankful that somebody was taking time to pray about that day when you would make the decision to surrender your life to Christ? And when we think of that, and we're thankful for that, that ought to motivate us take the time to pray for others who we know need to make that same decision. God will bless His church when we pray for the people doing the work, when we pray about His growth, when we pray about those doors that need to open, when we pray for those who need to be right with God. All of us pray every day. And we talk about it a lot. One of the things we get caught up, caught up in from time to time is we talk about, God, I need this, and God, help me over here. And, you know, God, Paul say, hey, if you'll put some of your focus in prayer on evangelism, God can bless that. So that's the first one tonight. The second one we want to notice comes from verse 5, and it's this idea about, well, there are four big words in this verse. Verse 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And so you have conduct, wisdom, outsiders, and opportunity. In other words, the idea is very simple. Each and every day, if we get up and, and maybe we go to work and maybe we go to school, or, or today you can interact with people without even leaving your house because we have the internet. But, but in other words, on a daily basis, we will interact probably with somebody who by definition in verse 5 is an outsider. And the question is, will there be anything in the way I interact with this person that would move them from where they are closer to a relationship with Jesus? The way we conduct ourselves has a huge impact on our ability to reach people. Our conduct, even more so than our words, but also our words, when the, the way we act demonstrates for people what's most important to us. And so there are questions we ought to be asking. People in town that interact with me, what do they hear me saying about my church family? And when people come and they look in our windows at our church family here at Savannah, when people look at this church family, you know, 
what do they see? And would they see that the love that Jesus says would identify his people? I think they would see that. Do they see the unity that allows us to have the outward focus to do evangelism? I think in a lot of cases they can see that, but we never can rest on it. We've got to always be asking the question, will people see in us what God wants them to see? Because again, when they look at us, hopefully they're seeing something they want. If I'm trying to win a friend, if I'm trying to win a co-worker or even a family member to Christ, the other thing we've got to be thinking about here, when we think about conduct, my life needs to look a lot like what I'm trying to promote. You know, I'm trying to win you to Christ, and so the idea is hopefully, now I'm not going to be perfect, but hopefully my life's going to look pretty consistent with what I'm trying to win you to. And I'll illustrate it this way. Down in Florence, as we work with these guys who are getting ready to preach and getting ready to do ministry, we'll talk a lot about character and conduct. And, and the, the discussion goes something like this. You're preparing yourself to be a minister in the Lord's church, and you're going to take a, a role with the church, and you're going to go to work, and it may be, uh, may be in a large metro area, but it might be in a small town. And when you go to work, especially in a small town, everybody in town is going to know who you are, and they're going to know what you do. And so because of that, the life that you're living Monday through Saturday better look a lot like what you get up and preach on Sunday because if the two don't line up pretty closely, you won't be there long and people aren't going to listen to you anyway. So we talk about that with preacher students, and we need to. But if that's important for preachers, and again, it is, what about for all of us as members of God's because people do something to us that's very unfair. And we got to always remember we have to deal with people the way they are, not the way they ought to be. But this is the unfair thing that people will do. If Philip Yep is a member of Savannah Church of Christ, and for whatever reason somebody in this town knows me, and I happen to be the only person they know from this church, they will form their opinion of this church based on what they know about me. Is that fair? That's really not fair. And it actually could be very, very inaccurate. The other scary thing about it is we never know who's watching. Well, you got a joke traveling. you got to behave all the time because you never know who you're going to meet. And it's true. But it's also true, you know, kids in high school, sometimes you think, well, man, I'm young right now. Nobody needs to be watching me. But see, when you're in high school, there's... There's a six-year-old who looks at you like you're just one, you're, you're a little G-God, not big G-God, but man, they look up to everything you do. And that happens with all of us. There are people looking up to us. They're watching us. They think a lot of us. And we may not even know that they're watching. That's a lot of pressure. But that's where we are. One preacher said this. And it relates to the mask that you have on the screen. But he said, I really believe that the largest obstacle between the lost and relationship with Jesus is Christians. And all he's trying to say is that sometimes people, they will try to hold us to a standard that we can never live up to. Oh, you're a Christian. Well, well why did you do that? Well, you're a Christian. Well, why did you go do, why did you say that? Oh, you're a Christian. Holding us to, you know, we walk in, they won't see us at night. We walk in and we think about the day and we may regret things we said and we may regret, regret things we did and we may wish that we could have a do-over on that. They don't see all of that. 
just to the very best of our ability, we need to not be the folks who are living behind a mask. We need to be genuine and real and try to live such that people can be watching. One of our former board members is telling his conversion story, and he's a noted preacher down in Alabama. And as he told his conversion story, he said, uh, he said, early on, he said, I wanted nothing to do with Christianity. He said, when I got married, my wife started dragging me to church. And I would go with her to church because she wanted me to go. And he said, but I wanted nothing to do with being a Christian because, he said, I was going into church on Sunday and people seemed to be so holy. They were praying and they were singing and they were uh, reading and all these great things were going on. And then he said, I'd go to the plant where I worked on Monday and I'd sit in the break room and these same people I'd been in church with on Sunday, they'd come through the break room on Monday and he said it was like they were completely different people. The things they're talking about and the things that they're saying and the way that they're acting. And he said, it turned my stomach. It made me sick. He said, I didn't want to have anything to do with being a Christian. And fortunately, in his case, the, the good influence of his wife was stronger than those negative influences. But, but I shudder to think how many people today might not be Christians had this woman not brought him to church and had her influence not been strong enough for him to have been converted and then for him to decide to preach the gospel. We need to be, as we do life and as we interact with people, we need to try to be like a couple of elders that I heard about years ago down in Florence, Alabama. Uh, they were iron workers, worked with TVA, but a young man came to work with them as an iron worker's apprentice. And so their job as iron workers, they were to show this young man uh, his role. They were to train him. And the other thing they tried to do with this young man is they also began trying to be the right kind of influence around him. They would talk about spiritual things. And if there was something going on church-related, they would invite him out. And, and so years ago, and Florence, and this predates me, but apparently our congregations down there would have singings at the convention center. You'd have about 2,000 Christians coming together to sing. And so this young man was invited and brought his young wife and their baby. They came to one of these singing set way up in the top, but he was moved by hearing God's people lift up praises to God. He was moved enough that he got involved in a Bible study. Not too long after that, he's converted and he's baptized into Christ. And he begins attending what was then the Lehigh Church of Christ in Florence. And the elders in that church, they were very wise. And sometimes we're tempted when somebody's baptized. We do the touchdown dance. We're excited and we assume everything's going to be okay. But if we're not very intentional in, in some very specific things with a new convert, we may lose them. Well, these elders, they gave this young man something to do. They got him active. They got him involved. He'd been a Christian about a year. And one Sunday night after the services, the elders kind of got him off to the side and said, Listen... A couple of weeks from now, our preacher's going to be away. And on Sunday night, we would like you to get up and preach a lesson. And the young man, he said, it scared me to death. He said, I was, I was excited, but I was scared. And he said, I went home and I worked on a lesson. And I practiced on that lesson. And I got up on that Sunday night and I preached that lesson. And he said, it was awful. But he said, people encouraged me. Elders came back to him and they said, you seem to have some interest in ministry. 
And this young man is finding himself at this crossroads. The, the elders want to say there's a new school in town. It's called International Bible College. If you want to go over there and take some classes, we'll support you some to go. And so now he's got a decision. He's working with TVA at a time when that meant a career, and that meant retirement, and that meant security according to earthly standards. It meant all those things that corporate life today does not mean. But he said, my problem was, he said, I was falling head over heels in love with the idea of doing God's work full time. And so he and his wife prayed about it. They changed their lifestyle just a little bit. And he enrolled full time in school. Worked as the janitor while he was a student. Later on, he did full time work, did full time meeting work. The story that I'm telling is President Dennis Jones. He's been our president of Heritage Christian University since 1990. And I love that story for a couple of reasons. See, those two elders, when this young guy that's not even a Christian, when he comes to work at TVA as an iron worker's apprentice, see, I don't think those two elders looked at him and said, you know, if we, if we do the right thing, if we try to work with this guy, maybe one day this guy will have a ministry that will touch the lives of thousands. Maybe one day he'll write a book that blesses churches. Maybe one day he'll be the president of the school. See, I don't think I might be wrong, but I don't think they had that thought. I don't think they had that conversation. I think their thought was probably, if we'll conduct ourselves with wisdom toward outsiders and make the most of this opportunity, maybe God will write a success story. And that's how it needs to be with us. We don't have to see how it's going to turn out. If we'll just try to live out verse 5 with the way we live our lives, with the way we conduct ourselves, trying to take advantage of those opportunities that God places in front of us, God can still write those success stories today. Finally, tonight, number three, we want to notice verse six. Paul goes on to say, like your speech, always be with grace, has those seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Again, this verse is loaded with challenge. It's, it, and it should cause us to be asking ourselves some questions about the way we do life. Do we deal with people in such a way that our interactions with them reflect the idea that we're seeing them through the eyes of eternity? And that's a convicting question for me. You know, if that waitress has gotten my meal wrong, I may forget that I'm supposed to see every interaction as this opportunity for maybe to be the right kind of influence or maybe to say something that can help change a life for the better. Or that other customer service thing where everything's gone wrong or when I've been taking it we, we all deal with those things. We understand. And we probably all have some opportunities passed by us. It's called being human. But see, Paul says some important things in this verse. He says, let your speech always... I've got to try to remember to always be having conversations in such a way that I'm not closing a door on, a, on an opportunity for God. And then he says, so that you know how you should respond to each person. So it's what I say, and it's how I say it, and it's with everybody. Am I disciplined enough to try to always live out always? And the idea of each person. 
Now, it's easy to have a religious conversation with the honest seeker, the person who says they are honestly seeking God's way. It's easy to sit down and have a conversation with that person. But what about the person who I know is, in my mind at least, I think they're just trying to get under my skin. They're just asking these questions. They're just trying to stir me up. They're maybe hoping I'm going to get angry. They're, they're not really asking for the right reason. I going to respond to that person in the right way? Or maybe that's that person who I've decided in my mind. They're not really serious about religion. They're just, they're just making small talk with me. Or that person, maybe they're trying to get me to say something that I, they can use against me later. So you'll know how you should respond to each person. Obviously, anytime we're interacting, it's got to be motivated by love. The other thing that we've got to remember about this is our strength of relationship may well affect how we respond. In other words, the, the closer I am to a person, the, the, the more direct I can probably be with them and get away with it. You remember Jude chapter, excuse me, Jude verses 22 and 23. The Bible says, And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. It's, it's almost this idea that, that based on the person, the, 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 the action may be a little different. As I go to the mirror and I think about the way I interact with people, do I say things in a way that, that, that attract people to Christ or do I say things in a way that maybe repel them and move them further away? The last thing I ought to want is to have an interaction that helps close a door. If God opens doors, I don't want to be in the door closing business, right? Why don't keep those doors open? Because the, the idea is we may talk with someone, we may study with someone, we may talk with them about spiritual things, and, and they may not be ready for it today. They may, not, they may not be ready to respond today. But I want to, I want to interact in such a way that that door stays open so that maybe tomorrow or next week or next month or next year, there's an opportunity for another conversation. I think the question on the screen is just critical. If we're going to be talking about things with someone, if we want to keep doors open, if we'll always remember to ask this question, you know, as I interact, as I talk with this person, am I trying to win an argument or am I trying to win a soul? If we can remember that in every interaction, boy, we would do a lot better, I believe, because in our history, there have probably been some days where we felt like we won some arguments, but, but maybe we did it in such a way that we closed some doors, and now God only knows if those doors will open again. We've got to be thinking souls as we interact with people. I'll leave you tonight with John the Baptist over in Mark chapter 6 because there's something there that's very interesting said about him. If you've got your Bible, you might turn over there. We'll notice just a few verses and then the lesson tonight will be yours. You, you know the story. You know what John the Baptist was up to. John the Baptist finds himself in prison because he has done a difficult thing. Uh, he has stood up to Herod, to King Herod. He has had the uh, boldness to say to King Herod, uh, your life, your lifestyle, what you're doing right now, according to what God says, is not right. And so he stands for truth, and he finds himself in prison, not directly because of King Herod, but, but more so because of King Herod's wife. She didn't like the fact that John the Baptist was trying to say that what she's doing is not right. And so 
Uh, we'll pick up and read in verse 17. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And so in other words, this is sort of an ongoing conversation that they've been having. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. So you get the idea from Mark's account that Herod has some respect for John. But notice the last thing in verse 20. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. It's this idea that somehow, some way, John the Baptist, he's going in and he's saying things to Herod that Herod doesn't necessarily want to hear. But somehow, some way, John's having this conversation in such a way that Herod still wants to talk with him. I don't know exactly how John is doing that. I don't know exactly how he's accomplishing that. I suspect it has something to do with sharing God's truth in love. It seems a reminder to me, and I hope it's a reminder to all of us, that the way that we say what we say is crucial. The way we say what we say can be crucial in our effectiveness in evangelism. I'm thankful for this good news out of Colossians. I'm thankful that, that Paul explains and reminds us that, that, hey, you're praying every day, so why not spend some of that time praying for the expansion of God's kingdom and praying for the wisdom and the, the, the success of those who are taking the gospel with them? We all pray. Pray for evangelism. And then I'm glad that it reminds us that, hey, we, we're around people every day. And so he says, put some focus on the way you conduct yourself. Because as you conduct yourself, you can help people move from where they are closer to where they need to be. And then I'm glad that it reminds us that if we're careful in choosing our words, if we're mindful about the interactions that we have, the conversations that we have, all of us can be more effective in helping God's kingdom grow. That's the lesson tonight. I hope it will be a reminder. I hope it will be an encouragement for us this week as we're in the community and we're doing life in the kingdom. Tonight, Bradley's going to lead us in a song that's been selected. And, and as you think about your life, uh, sometimes we run into that case where while we're out there, we're supposed to be representing Christ in the community in a positive way. I realize that maybe I've really stumbled. Maybe I've really dropped the ball. Maybe I've made... Jesus looked bad in front of the community. Maybe I've made Jesus or the church look bad in front of those who really need Jesus. And see, one reason we respond publicly is because that way, if somebody's in town taking a shot at you, your brothers and sisters say, well, no, yeah, he messed up. But see, he, he made that right. He realized that was wrong. And he's made that right with God. And so he's trying to do the right thing. That's one of the reasons we respond publicly when we need to. Maybe tonight... Uh, you're here and you need to do that. Maybe you're walking through a valley and just need the prayers of the church. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian and you need to be baptized into Christ and then you need to walk with Him. If you have a need, let that be done while we stand and while we sing.